0: So, I'm not Matt, but we are in the book of James and we continue through it. We are glad you're here, as Lenny said, braving the cold. Those of you that are watching online, thank you for being a part of that. Uh, We appreciate you being there. We know some of you are suffering from sickness, some are out of town, some are in climates much warmer than this, but we are very glad that you are with us. See, the book of James we've been going through is faith in action, has been the theme. And we're going to open up the scriptures this morning to James chapter 3. So if you would, and you have your Bible or your device, open it up and begin there. And I would encourage you, if you're a guest with us and you don't have a Bible, feel free to grab a physical copy of one on your way out. Well, as Pastor Matt shared last week, the message was empty faith versus saving faith. Okay, which is it? And the point was that true faith will be accompanied by our actions or our works. It will also, it's also said that faith and works are two sides of the same coin. You can't have one without the other. But let's think of it this way. If your life was saved from certain death because someone risked their own life to save yours, how would you feel toward that person? Well, I think, of course, if it was me, but I'm thinking you too, would be very thankful. But probably more than that, you'd be willing to just about do anything for them. Well, you know what? We've had that happen for us in the person of Jesus Christ. So, of course, we say we love and believe in him, right? But shouldn't the overflow or our gratitude and love naturally move and act in our life then? When we recognize the depth of our sin and waywardness and realize the depth of Jesus' grace and mercy, it should begin to be, it should overflow into all parts of our life. So as faithful followers, we can answer the question, is Jesus enough? And we should be able to say with an absolute, yes, he is. So today's passage may be pretty familiar to many of you, however, it's also one that can quickly do, we can, I guess I would call it a drive-by reading. And we'll move right past it without truly thinking about really the significance of it. But the main idea is faithful followers of Christ guard their hearts. Let's read it together. Verses 1 through 12. It's a little longer passage, but it's got some stories in there and some illustrations, so it it shouldn't be too hard. Verse 1, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to also bridle his whole body. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So last Saturday night, or early Sunday morning, I don't know, I had a dream, and I'll tell you, I don't put a whole lot of stock in my dreams. (laughs) Um, But this one, for some reason, I remembered. Why? Probably because this passage of Scripture has been in front of me for quite a bit of time I won't get into many of the details, but basically I was, was at a table with people I'd never met, but I knew them. One of the persons said something that I obviously did not agree with, and I let them have it verbally. I don't remember swearing, though, just to be on the record, but I remember the frustration, the anger and the intensity. My words, they were constant, and they wouldn't stop. Well, thankfully, I woke up, and I was glad it was a dream. But it made me think, because if I was capable in my dream of those things of like word, these words and feelings, was was that the something I was that something I was capable of of doing out loud or even in my mind? I would have had to answer, yes, as I studied this passage. Here's a question. To begin to get our heads and hearts thinking, when was the last time your tongue got you in trouble? Today? Yesterday? Last week? That would have been yesterday. Uh, Maybe it was something as simple as telling a lie and you were found out. Judgmental words. You go through the list. You'll know what they are. And, and in most of those cases, we wish we could just retrieve that and rewind the day, get those words back, because sometimes, without any real thought, we may joke or make fun of someone, not realizing the pain we've just caused them. The old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names, or I'll, let's, let's just, you know substitute, words will never hurt me not a true statement, how quickly it happens, how quickly we can lash out, how quickly we can hurt someone. See, the Bible is chock full of verses and references that connect our heart with our tongue or with what we speak so I want you to think of this morning as I use the word tongue or we read tongue in these passages, remember it really can be almost interchangeable with our heart, what's inside us. My issue, uh, my issue is not so much with the words that actually come out of my mouth, but what I allow my own heart to take in and then send out. Ephesians 4.21 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. We see in later uh, later in chapter 3, James writes about how the tongue can bring blessing in one breath and cursing in the next. I'm going to be honest, I don't remember a lot of my elementary days attending church. I remember being in church but remembering what was actually said not much. I couldn't even tell you, you know, what this next thing is if it was in it was part of James 3 or what it was a part of, but the pastor shared this interesting thing that for some reason all these years later I have remembered. He asked the question of the congregation. He says, are the things you speak 10k I was like a bit confused, like any kid would be. 10K, that makes no sense. Well, he went on to explain it in this way. He says, you know, are the things you speak truthful? No. Okay, T, I get it. Okay, this is coming. Is it edifying, encouraging, or in a sense, good for building others up? Oh, there's the E. Okay, Okay, I'm tracking with you. Necessary. You know, there's a lot of things we say, we don't really (laughs) need to say them, right? But we feel like we need to say them. Well, we should consider that. And lastly, the K, is it kind? Or we could even put in there loving. You know, for some reason it caught my attention and I'll tell you, I am so glad it stuck. Because that has helped me a lot of times when I'm speaking. Well, the first two verses of this chapter make me shiver. I'm just going to be right up front with you. It's not, these are not the verses a teacher likes to read over and over again. Not many of you should become teachers. Okay, and then you guys are like, okay, I'm good with that. My brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Yeah, because that's what I want to walk into. Yep, right? Mm Mm-mm. For all, or for we all, stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Well, verse 1 warns that those that teach God's word need to be very careful to handle it well. James includes himself in this statement when he says, we. James is most likely in Jerusalem. He's writing to Jewish Christians and leaders. And as as they're there, as they have in the past, and I would even say it continues to this day, many people who use God's word as a weapon, as something to control others, to profit from. And we could add to that list, I'm sure. But this is why I think James is saying, if you want to be a teacher, know that when you are teaching about Christ, you need to take that very seriously and do your best to communicate it as it was intended. Well, I'd say after 30 years of ministry and probably a 1,000 plus lessons and messages of different types, I still keep this message in mind. I know many times I have failed to measure up and I am sure there are many times I thought I measured up and I missed the mark. Teachers in the early church were critical for the transmission of the gospel because most of the people there didn't have a copy of the scriptures and many of them couldn't even read. But it's interesting that Paul likens teachers in the same ranks and same category as apostles and prophets. It's a very important role. And with it, though, comes a higher standard. See, James wants to be sure those, that, <clears throat> sure those that want to teach are doing it really for the right reasons and not for their own personal gain. They must be humble and desire to help the listeners grow in their love and knowledge of Jesus Christ, not of themselves. There are three reasons, I think, uh, that I kind of found that I think why we would be held to a stricter standard as a teacher. A teacher of God's word must speak the truth. We've got to be about the truth. This isn't about opinions. A teacher's word affects a lot of people. So let's just do the math. 500 people on a Sunday listening you know, from here, live stream, whatever. I take, let's just say it's a shorter sermon at 30 minutes because I don't want to try to do the complicated math. That's 250 hours I've taken of time of, time of people. That's a lot of time. And so we need to understand that. Teachers need to be an example of what they teach. Basically, their lives need to reflect what they are teaching to have any kind of credibility. Well, have I failed to measure up? Yep, many times. To stand up here on a Sunday is definitely a privilege, but it comes with great responsibility. I don't often use the Message Bible, but as I prepare to teach, one of the things I like to do is read multiple versions just to get kind of an idea of what kind of picture is being created and maybe a better understanding for me of some of the um, emphasis. And so the Message Bible combines verses 1 and 2 and it puts it this way. Don't be in any rush to become a teacher, my friends. Teaching is is highly responsible work. Teachers are held to the strictest standards, and none of us is perfectly qualified. We get it wrong nearly every time we open our mouths. If we could find someone whose speech was perfectly true, you'd have a perfect person in a perfect control of life. <laughs> Pretty good, right? I mean, that's, that's the essence of it. But many times I've focused on that verse 1 so much that I kind of read right by verse 2 and the importance of what James is writing even in that. So in verse 1 is, sure, it's a warning to consider why you want to be a teacher in the first place. And if you choose to, then how are you going to be responsible to teach God's Word well? But verse 2 gives me, in a sense, some, some relief, I would say because I see God's grace beginning to show up. James seems to paint a blank picture in verse 1 for teachers and those that strive to become one. But However, I don't think that's really James's main point and purpose. He desires those that teach to take it very seriously and to approach it humbly. In verse 2 it says, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, He is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. So yes, us teachers are going to blow it at times and not get it right. That is why it's so important that we that teach God's word to stay as close to the scriptures as possible. Stay so close to the text of the Bible. I know I need to be careful when I teach. To say things like this, it appears the passage is saying, when I'm not sure, or to be honest, to say, I don't know. Teachers need to be humble enough at times to say, I'm not sure, rather than possibly leading people to a conclusion that is not supported by the Scriptures. We teachers can teach about the way of the world, will end, and the age of the earth, or even God's will versus man's will, as if we have the definitive truth of how that will all play out. And to be honest, we really don't. We live in a world that is fallen, broken, and confused. And as a result, we need to be careful not to stretch Scripture to fit a situation. That goes for all of us. Well, the good news is, is when someone teaches with the right motives, there is grace. We will, we will blow it and we'll get it wrong at times. But James states the obvious and we all know it to be true. We will misspeak. We will all say something that is incorrect, unknowingly even. We will, uh, we, uh, we'll wound people with harsh and unkind words. The tongue is not able to be tamed. We are imperfect people, saved by a perfect Savior in Jesus Christ. Think about that. We're imperfect people, saved by a perfect Savior in Jesus Christ. James, verse 2, at the end of it, uses this interesting phrase, perfect man. Which for his readers and hearers would have directed them right to Jesus Christ as he was the only perfect man they knew of. We are not Jesus. And so we'll continue. And I said we'll, not just teachers, all of us, will continue to sin. And and we're not able to completely control our tongue, nor our body as a whole. See, Jesus is the only one that has been able to do that. And we will see later in verse 8, this come to truth. So the conclusion is, we need help. We can't tame the tongue alone. Well, in the next few verses, James now is going to use these three examples to show how powerful the tongue is. But you know what? This is, James isn't the only place that talks about the tongue. Psalm 19:14. we see this connection. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, you see the connection, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and redeemer. Or Matthew 15, 18, it says, But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. As you can see, there's a close connection of the heart and the mouth, or we can say slash tongue. Now, James will, in a sense, I think, present his case, much like a prosecutor at a trial, about the tongue. See, the tongue has two primary uses that we're familiar with. It assists us in eating and moving food, and it also helps us to speak or make noise. Well, a couple fun facts, I figured I'd throw these in, about the tongue. In humans, there are 9 or 50 to 150 taste receptor cells within each taste bud. Man, we serve a crazy, creative God, don't we? Thank you for that, Lord. It's a combination of eight separate muscles. Unlike other muscles, such as the bicep, tongue muscles don't develop around a supporting bone. And, just to make it clear, the tongue is not the strongest muscle of the body, if you've been taught that. Many sources confirm, include Wikipedia. Well, the mighty tongue has great power. James begins with an illustration of a horse and a bit. An average-sized horse weighs about, I don't know, 1,200 pounds or or more. However, a one-pound bit can control this beautiful and powerful animal. He then moves on to describe the rudder of a boat to help him give this picture of the tongue and how it will direct human life. That's what he's doing in these two, not for good or bad. But James' statement here is he tells us that the tongue has the control and will direct the direction of our life. I recently watched the movie Greyhound, which is about a World War II G-class British destroyer with a new captain that was assigned the duty of protecting convoy merchant ships, carrying supplies for the war effort, as well as ships carrying soldiers. It was an intense movie based loosely on a convoy that had no air cover and plenty of U-boats. The Greyhound had a unique design. It was about the size of a football field. What made them unique was its power and maneuverability. It was one of the most agile and fast ships of its time. Its top speed was around 40 miles an hour and was able to turn quickly for something that size. It had the ability to see a torpedo coming and adjust quickly enough to have it miss. The Germans had a ship named the Bismarck, which was their mightiest battleship in the German fleet, and it was tasked to destroy merchant ships and supply ships. It was successful and was able to elude the British fleet for some time. However, this fleet of six ships found it. The HMS Hood, which would be the grandfather of the fleet, built 20 years prior to the Bismarck, they were the same size. The Bismarck attacked and sank the Hood in less than 15 minutes. The Bismarck escaped only slightly damaged. However, later it was spotted by a small plane that dropped a torpedo and it happened to strike the rudder of the ship, and it incapacitated the ship so it could only move in circles. It was surrounded by dozens of ships and planes and was quickly sunk. Think about that. This massive ship that was so powerful was rendered useless because the rudder, this small part of the ship, had been damaged. I think James, again, is reminding us that this very small thing we call the tongue has mighty power for good or evil. And it directs our life. Well, verse 5, as we continue with James' third example of the tongue and its power, and where the first two examples, they're not positive or negative. They could be either one. This third one is definitely the negative side of the tongue. So picking up in the last part of verse five, it says, How great a forest fire is set, or a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Well, for some reason, when I read that and I digress a little bit, I, I think of the song, it only takes a spark to get a fire going. I had to get that out of my head after a while, but uh, Lenny, we don't need to do that one after. We have recently seen the news about uh, the devastating forest fires out west, right? Some were started by lightning, some by power lines that were arcing, others by careless individuals at a campfire or maybe a cigarette. No matter the cause, the fires grew quickly and destroyed everything in their path. And for the most part, they had to depend, we had to depend on nature to diminish the winds and bring rain to really stop them. See, fire's a good, good thing. I mean, think of it right now, especially these last few weeks with as cold as it's been, fire's a good thing. But if it's not controlled, it brings destruction. And it does so quickly. I think he's also reminding the teachers and all of those that read this letter that the tongue, if not controlled, will destroy your life and will bring with it collateral damage to those around you. This is not the first time James has addressed this. If, if we were to look back at the second week in James, James 1.26, he said, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle or control his tongue but deserves, uh, deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Those are some strong words. But I want you to look at the end of verse seven. There's an interesting word it ends with, and it's the word hell. And many of us have perceptions of what hell is. But it's curious because this is the word Jesus used in the Gospels. Only Jesus used it. And then James is the only other one, and he uses it once here in the New Testament. Scholars have surmised that this hell that they're referring to is is the word to remind the people of the trash heap in the south end of Jerusalem that was constantly burning, and depending on the wind direction, would regularly bring the foul smell into the city. James is simply saying, that burning trash heap that stinks and rakes, your tongue can be just like that. <laughs> so if James is not already, in a sense, proven his case, he adds one more way for the hearers and, I think, readers of these words to understand the power of the tongue. Verses 7 and 8. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Wow, a restless evil. Well, verse 7 is pretty self-explanatory. I don't think we have to get into that, but, but I, it's used to emphasize, I think, his point in verse 8. So if you're currently sitting there listening and you go, "Mm, okay, I feel a bit like a failure or even hopeless because you've seen that what James is talking about is pretty evident in your own life. I know I am and as well as the lives of people that we see around us. But I want you to look a bit closer at verse 8. I think there's a huge nugget of truth that should really help us here. His point is you can't tame your tongue by yourself. It's curious that he uses the word, no human being. Similarly, as I said earlier, he alluded to perfect man in verse 2. See, James knows that our hearts, our tongues, will always fail us. And if we try to handle those things on our own, we will definitely fail. He really wants us to understand that the only way to tame the heart or the tongue is to rely on the perfect man and the perfect Son of God to help change us from the inside out. I think Psalm one nineteen that maybe all of you have uh, memorized because it's hundred and lots of verses. But I love what it says here. It says, "My lips will pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word." For all your commandments are right. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. In this psalm, we do not see somebody that's going, oh man, I can't believe I have to follow what you want me to do, God. There's great joy in it. We pour forth praise. I want to be taught what you need to teach me, good things and hard things. I need to be there but I'm gonna, my tongue is going to sing your word because I know your commandments are right. But he knows he can't do that without the help of God. See, God's available to help us. We just have to ask. No, we're not in this alone. And so James begins to conclude his thoughts and he now zeroes in on another unique trait of the heart and tongue. He talks about how it's fickle and quickly can change and lash out. Back in chapter 1, James verse 19 has given us some great advice that I think would serve us well to listen more and speak less. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. So let's review. So far, we've learned that the teachers will be held to a higher standard and based on you know, based on the things they say, woohoo, all right. We all stumble and fail, okay? Our small tongues are powerful for good or evil. Our tongue will impact our course of life. Our tongue can't be tamed by ourselves. So James concludes with two final pictures That would have been very easy to understand for the listeners. In verse 9, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be. Does a spring forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Well, don't raise your hand if this is true of you, but we may be surprised at how many hands would have gone up. I know mine would have, so I'll admit that. So say you're driving down the road, minding your own business. We're going to pretend it's a beautifully warm day with the windows down, the radio cranking, the pulse, the word, or whatever, and our favorite hymn comes up, Great is thy faithfulness. And we are singing it, and we are so excited. And then that guy cuts me off. And I have a few words for him in the next sentence right after, great is thy faithfulness. And I think a few things about him as well, as he's telling me I'm number one. Think about that. We are, our tongues can so quickly change. But I think that's really the point of verse 9 and 10. With it, boom, blessing. With it, boom, cursing. So James is now, he has shifted in these verses, in the focus a bit. But he wants to use a few, I think, useful and very relevant examples about water, olive trees, and grapevines. All very critical to that region during James's day. He says, does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? And if we were to answer those questions, we would obviously go, "Uh, no, of course not. It would be very obvious that that's not possible. It just doesn't work that way. So what is James' point here? Well, Well, think of it this way. If your heart is filled with love for Jesus and grace toward other people, wouldn't the natural result of goodness flow out of us then? Well, the truth is, the product is consistent with its source. What's in our heart, what are we producing in our heart, will be what comes out as the product. So, what is inside us will flow out. If good exists, then good will come out. If evil is inside, then evil will come out. Jesus even comments on this in Matthew 7, verse 15 and following. It says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Watch out, because false prophets are doing what? Teaching something contrary to Scripture. Inwardly. What's inside is what's going on. But their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people grab grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree, bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. So what James is sharing here is nothing new. Jesus had already spoken on it. But just like we studied several weeks ago, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. When we allow the Holy Spirit to speak in us, we will see our lives produce good fruit. Not in our strength, but in the strength of our God, the Spirit. What comes out of our mouth reveals what's in our heart. Faithful followers of Christ must guard their hearts so that their tongue can be used for God's glory. Think of that. So, two questions for you to take with you. And I just consider you to pray about these, consider them in your own life. Where does my inconsistent speech come from? Or maybe another way of looking at it is maybe where is it rooted? Is it in my unforgiveness toward people? My short fuse, my bitterness? Where does my inconsistent speech come from? And the second question, how well do your words and actions mirror the faith that you proclaim in Christ? When people see you, do they see something different? Do the words you use, as it said earlier, build up? Please take some time to consider those things. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the love and grace you show each of us each and every day. Despite our poor attempts to follow you faithfully, thank you for the power you've given us to live in your spirit and produce good fruit and even tame our tongues so that we can be a blessing to others. Please help us, Lord, to desire to love you more each day as we understand and begin to even understand the depth of your love, your forgiveness, your mercy and grace. You are so faithful. You will never let us down. And you have told us to draw near to you so that we can find strength in your loving embrace. We pray this in your powerful and eternal name. Amen.